0: Hi, I'm Bastian Schweinziger and this is BR Football Ranks.
1: Welcome to BR Football Ranks. I'm Dean Jones sitting in the hot seat this week while Prince of the Pod Jack Collins recovers from a very serious case of the sniffles. Get well soon, mate. The rank squad are behind you all the way as you sip on that honey and lemon. There might be no Jack, but the Champions League is back this week. And to celebrate this moment, we are going to take a deep dive into the European football landscape. If you have ever wondered what a European Super League might look like, I'm pleased to announce that today, rank god Sam Tai has all the answers you could possibly need. Isn't that right, Mo?
2: Yeah, I've given it a go. Whether or not it's the absolute, you know, this is what's going to happen, I don't know. And introducing, well, standing in for Jack this week, Tom. He's going to keep me in check, Tom Williams.
1: Absolutely, yeah. Tom, the man that puts the ooh-la-la in French football writing. He is the (laughs) regular contributor (laughs) to Bleacher Report's written content. Tom Welcome. Thanks very much. Thanks for having me. You were actually on one of our pilots, weren't you? The,
0: um, I was, yeah. When, when this entire podcast was still a tiny acorn, and look at it now. It kind of was mighty- an acorn, wasn't it? Oh. Because
1: we were in a little desk in the middle of a dark room. Weren't and- we sharing a microphone, passing it round?
0: Possibly. A very humble beginning. Yeah, very humble beginning. About yeah. these
1: glorious days, here yeah. we are. Look the Tom's now. now
2: latched on, what, over a year later. He's seen He's seen the light. The glory train is full steam ahead. He
0: jumped and he's on thought, the bandwagon yeah. shamelessly. Stowed
1: away in one of the cargo containers. We're pleased to have you, mate. Imagine a 38-game season where every European giant goes head-to-head. I don't mean super clubs here. I mean the clubs who are performing at the very top of their game, Right now, this season, would Liverpool still be unbeatable? Would Man City actually find a league that was willing to embrace them? How would Barcelona and Real Madrid deal with a cold Tuesday night at Leicester City away? We're going to find out because Sam has broken down every possible outcome (laughs) (laughs) from all the top achievers this season. Tell us how a Super League might unfold. Yeah, Dean
2: asked me to actually decide all of the fixtures and the results for the entire 2020 team and 38-game season, which I did not do, but I have produced a 1-20 to 20 table, which is exactly how I think this would play out if 20 of the best teams in Europe played a full season against each other. I have to say, this sounds like quite a gruelling process for all these teams involved. If the calibre of opposition was this high on a weekly basis, I don't know what would happen in this league, which is why I'm so intrigued by it, but I've given it my best shot. Um, What I did was I took the top four from England, uh, top four from Italy, Spain and Germany, the top two from France, the top two from Portugal and Ajax and created what was very annoyingly a 21-team league. (laughs) So the first thing we have to do is actually ditch... One of the teams to make it a top 20. Okay. Um, and what I've got at the very bottom is Hetafe, currently third in La Liga. I've got Benfica and Porto. This is not a particularly strong season for Portuguese teams. As we've seen, Porto failed to get into the Champions League. Benfica out in the groups. And Marseille, second in Liga. So I'm going to throw it to Tom.
1: Hang on, so we're having a playoff straight away before this, we even begin. We've got a playoff to stay in the division. One got right to go. One got to okay. go. And I'm going to throw well, Tom, it to Tom.
2: In. Tom, you are the resident French football expert here.
0: In 30 seconds or less, sell me on Marseille's case. Marseille this season, and against all expectations, have emerged as this remarkably durable and effective team under André It's hard to assess them on a sort of continental scale because they're not involved in European competition. They've got a really thin squad. They're very reliant on a small number of key players. You keep expecting them to drop points, and they don't. They've beaten all of their rivals for Champions League qualification. They've beaten Lille twice, Lyon, Monaco, Rennes. The only team that they haven't been able to get the better of in, in that group of play, uh, that group of teams at the top has been PSG. Fair enough. So they, they remain something of an unknown quantity, but I, there is, I'm starting to think that they might be the real deal after all. OK, so there's a
2: certain steal to them. I mean, they ha- they basically didn't concede a goal for five straight games at the start yeah. of this year as well. So I'm happy to put Marseille in. And I think without wanting to be too disrespectful to Hatafé, I think they're the team that drop out. Um Taking a look at their record, You've
1: done so well.
2: I know, I know, I know, and I don't want this to come across as like, as a bit of snobbery because yeah. you know some people say that their approach is a bit yes, uh, Atletico light. They just kick people, but they they kind of do a little bit. But the the, the quality in the squad is way off most of these teams. So, Hatafe gone. And we start at the very bottom here, I think, with the Portuguese teams. I just haven't been very impressed with them this season. And They're I, if, good
1: enough to make the, the 20, but yeah, so that's
2: that. Depending on how you order the big two there, I don't know. Um, Benfica currently hold the edge on Porto in the league, but I actually, I start, I'm actually starting to think Porto are a little bit better. They did recently beat them, of course, in the Classico. So let's start at the bottom at 20, Benfica, 19, Porto. And mm. I'm going to sneak Marseille in 18th. Fair. Tom has managed to convince me that they might be. It was worth... a good argument. It and was a right, good argument. I mean,
1: AVB is back in business. I work. mean, it's,
2: it's worth noting that 18th still gets you relegated. Um, however, they're in the mix, which is uh, which is
1: an honour in itself. So, who has dodged relegation? Who are the teams just above those? Just dodging is Chelsea in 17th. I think if we'd have done this
2: two months ago, they'd have been higher. But over the last couple of months, Chelsea have felt quite fragile. Um, in certain places, defensively, I think they might be a little bit naive, and again, we have to hammer this point home coming up against serious quality on a weekly basis. These are the sorts of flaws that do tend to come up and i would wo- I would worry that Chelsea would actually take 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 a few too many beatings here i 've got them just staying up but I don't think their squad is actually, is actually going to make the impact it needs to here, and I think their flaws are really too obvious.
0: Yeah, and I think that's what we've seen in recent weeks. I mean, they made that fantastic start to the season, had that long unbeaten run, and it looked like Frank Lompard had just managed to generate some momentum that was going to carry them through the whole season. But then their form over the last two, three months has been absolutely terrible. I mean, And they can't string more than two wins together at a time, and occasionally you see them and you can see, obviously they've got good players, um, You know, they, they've had some eye-catching results, but they're so inconsistent that you just, you can't you can't really bet on them. They keep dropping games at home that you just think, like, when they lost to West Ham, when West Ham had basically not
2: won a game in ages and then they go to Chelsea and win 1-0, and of course we saw Monday night, you know, Manchester United roll into town and, uh, uh, and beat them 2-0, a pretty contentious game, but they still lost it. There's I struggle to trust Chelsea in this yeah. format. And then into 16th, so again, just riding clear, is Ajax. Um, I think it's probably... It's not unfair to say that they're not quite the force that they were last season. Obviously, when you, you lose Frankie de Jong and, and Matthijs de Ligt, that happens. Um, I do think they have something of a big game mentality left in them. Yeah, so I think they'd survive. But just on a general squad comparison quality basis, I do think that they're in that bottom quadrant.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. They've lost three league games this season Um but they've only conceded 19 goals from 22 games and last season they conceded uh, 32 goals from 34 games so the Licks, there's not been a, mm. a big fall off there, which many would have expected. And they lost Blind for a spell as well. Absolutely, but obviously the big miss for them is Frankie in the middle. I mean, you just can't replace him, no matter how good your academy is.
2: Yeah, and this might seem that like the ordering of these two teams might seem a bit strange to some because, of course, Chelsea qualified for the Champions League latter stages in a group that
0: contained Ajax, and Ajax dropped out. I mean, the crazy thing about Ajax going out in the group phase was that they were one of the most exciting teams to watch. And, and there were times when they looked like they were still one of the best teams in yeah. Europe. Yeah, it yeah. looked like they'd picked up where they'd left last season and I think for them to go out and I mean obviously a massive disappointment it showed how how tight that group was with them Chelsea and and Lille yeah but yeah as you say you saw in those group games where they did turn up that that big game mentality that took them to the semi-finals last season is still intact I think
2: I just don't really understand I still can't figure out how they didn't make it out of the group Mm. I still don't really get how that happened there's no disrespect to Valencia who made it through but I'm just still not quite sure how that shook out.
1: Yeah, I mean, Hakim Zayac is going to be hugely disappointed that he left Ajax for Chelsea when Chelsea <laughs> end up lower in the Super League. So, yes. bad move from him, it turns out. Right, Sorry, let's... Hakim.
2: Right, let's move into, <laughs> let's uh, move into more interesting territory. Uh, this, it starts to get really tricky here. You've got, you've got a group of teams who feel like, you know, comparing them, it, it is a fantasy exercise, which is why we're doing it, but it is tough. I've got Atalanta in 15th. Okay. A wonderful team to watch. I wonder if they've got the balance and the nous to, again, truly do any better than this over 38 People games. People have said
1: that for the last three years.
2: I know. That's why I feel stupid <laughs> saying it, you know? I, d- I don't know. I, don't, I just don't know with, with Atalanta. And then you go from one extreme to the other, just above them in 14th, I've got Atletico Madrid. Mm. So oh, that's low for them. So if Atalanta's problem maybe is that they're a bit gung-ho, Atletico is the opposite problem. If you average one goal a game... Mm-hmm. I don't. I don't think you have enough in the tank to get to, to really achieve much more in this league.
1: But is that not just because they've had such harsh injuries on the key key players up front? I mean, may,
2: maybe to a point. But I think I think if you start comparing the attacks of all of these teams, Morata and a, a, a fading Diego Costa, it, it doesn't look great in comparison to even to in some of the teams that are just above them, or even to Atalanta's attack, even to Ajax's attack. I don't. Even when Gel
1: some... Felix is feeding
2: them. Look, that's a different story, but Felix hasn't actually necessarily shown his best form. He hasn't, no. And he's been injured, so it's hard to really hang your hat on that.
0: I mean, I think what's fascinating about Atletico is they're obviously going through this transition, and it has been a slight change to the way they play, and as, we, as we've as we said, the goals have dried up despite all that money they spent on Joao Felix and, and people like Tom and Lamar and all the rest of it. But what will be fascinating um, in you know in, in the Champions League this season will be to see whether that kind of, that sort of, Um, hardiness that has been their trademark in the Champions League and in La Liga since Diego Simeone arrived in 2011 is still intact or whether they've sort of fallen so far away from what they used to be that actually they are almost going to have to start from, from scratch again
2: Well by the time you listen to this podcast Atletico Madrid will have played their first leg against Liverpool because we record on the Tuesday afternoon and they're playing tonight in Madrid so some of these questions may be answered I may look really stupid uh, by the time might be you, the first time, might be the worry. first time um, that you listen to this. A ago, may have blown the doors off Liverpool and proven me wrong. However, if it goes, if it goes how I expect, it's probably symbolic of how a, se- a season in this kind of environment would actually go for them. I just want to pick you up Tom, on on Toma Lamar because I actually, by chance, I promise, read an article of yours just before he left Monaco. Yeah, I, for, if it, I recall
0: correctly, I bigged him up in quite classic yeah, <laughs> it, 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 it was for Bleacher Report and it was a, a
2: celebration of, of how good Lamar is. I'm not calling you out on this because I think he's great. I just think he's in a really bad situation with Diego Simeone. But it's been a long time since
0: we've seen him play particularly well. Can you remind me what he does that's so good? Yeah, I mean, his his left foot is an absolute wand. Um, he is a lot quicker than people give him credit for. He's a very hard worker. And I think the hope in France when he went to Atletico was that was, was Simeone would kind of take all of those qualities and, and kind of give him, you know, an extra edge to his game, you know, improve his tactical awareness and, and his, you know, his... Um, his work rate and things like that. And it, it just hasn't happened. And I think that perhaps had he had he arrived at Atletico at a slightly different period in their recent history, when they were having more success, he might have blended into their team a bit more successfully. Um, but he's he's fallen off the map almost completely with France. I mean, he still gets called up in the squads. But, you know, there was a time when he looked like that left midfield berth was his for the taking. That's mm. no longer the case. And, yeah, I I struggle to see him turning things around at Atletico. I kind of feel like he... It, it might be time for him to start thinking about a move somewhere else. But because they paid so much money for him, there is obviously an interest in, in you know seeing out that investment and giving him and it the time. Like to it seemed like he was touting around
1: a lot in, in mm. the last transfer window. And I think finding him a new club is is going to prove tricky. I mean, if you think of when he first moved, there was a lot of clubs being linked with him. Arsenal obviously looked heavily at trying to sign him. I just think now the type of money you're going to have to pay for him in fee and wages... People will look for other options, and I think they can probably find a better option, a safer option, anyway. Because you don't know how long it's going to take him to get back to his best. But um, Sam, carry on.
2: Yeah, it, so into thirteenth, and this I reckon this might
1: this might surprise a few. Borussia Dortmund oh. in thirteenth feels low. It does feel low. It so low. Why does it feel low? <laughs> because they've got Jaden Sancho and Erling Haaland up yeah, front. It, I, just on that alone. Yeah, it's a good it's a good argument. Um, I think watching Dortmund
2: over the last few months, or actually, let's just make it watching Dortmund over the last 18 months <laughs> the same issues crop up all right um playing over the top of them on the counter is so easy yeah. and defensively they can look so so poor at times so, such poor coordination so poor at defending set pieces and leaving so much space in behind with not the quickest defensive line the amount of errors they make is insane i mean i remember in the summer when hummel signed i was i was all in for it because i thought if there's a player here that can stabilise things and can maybe try and bring a kanji out of this kind of self-destructive mode, yeah. I thought it might be Hummels. And he's had an impact, but not as much as I thought. And I just think when... when like PSG, again, like they play tonight, so let's see. But if it, again, if it goes the way that I think it would, I, I, think, I think Dortmund would really, really struggle against the top sides. They feel like a team that could absolutely crush a minnow. But they don't do well in big in big games. They're not they're not equipped for it. And I think that, that if the weakest team you play in this setup is Porto or Benfica or Marseille, they're they're not gonna be as good as you would imagine they would be on yeah. paper.
1: I mean the only thing on the flip of this, you know, the Champions League group stages, they were put in a group with Barcelona, Inter Milan and Slavia Prague and they got out of it. They
2: did get out of it,
1: yeah. I mean, just just about. Slavia gave everyone a run for their money, <laughs> they didn't did, they? That but, was about- you it? Know- if you were to just have a look now across the league tables, you would imagine that probably Inter would have finished above them, and they didn't.
2: Yeah, yeah, precisely. I mean, there's there's an old trope, isn't there, with Antonio Conte and throwing uh, throwing the towel in on Europe, <laughs> which uh, which which came true again, although it didn't look like it was going to for right. a while. I just, yeah, I wa- I wonder with, with with Dortmund on paper, 13th seems low, but just the mechanics of how they play. And they, I have, mean,
0: they let in too many goals, don't yeah. they? Yeah, I think. I mean, that's what yeah. that's what makes you feel like they don't really belong in that that elite bracket of teams at the moment because yeah. if you let goals in, I mean, you know, even just in the first two months of this year, the amount of goals they've let in.
1: Yeah, I mean, they came through with that Champions League group, but they did have a goal difference of zero coming through it. They scored eight, they conceded eight. So, you know, that's only going to get you so far, isn't
2: it? I mean, they did good January business as well. Erling Haaland obviously boosts their chances of doing anything in in, in this scenario. And Emery Chan, I think, was a,
1: was a decent buy as well even though you've made him melon of the week at least once maybe twice maybe twice but he's starting to prove me wrong now he's he's found a club that actually suits him a little
2: bit yeah so it does it feels wrong on paper but i just can't help but judge on what i've seen and like it's i just think they'd get ripped apart too easily i I really really do um and here's, here's an interesting thing about how this kind of stacks up I'm not saying that Leicester who are in 12th are a better team than Dortmund you just you kind did. of are. you Sam, just
0: did you, I mean you almost literally <laughs> are
1: that's how league tables work
2: I just think that they would they would deal with this scenario and that the rigors of this season much much better because they are so much more balanced and they're they're they are a, a very good overall team I don't think they have a weakness their weakness in comparison to the teams that are above them are they don't have a, a Messi or
1: Ronaldo or a Neymar but they're so well built and so difficult to beat. They are, but I do I am concerned about the fact that if Vardy's not scoring, then I'm not sure which striker's coming in there to fill that gap. And he hasn't been he's been through a bit of a dry spell recently. I mean, I get that, but I look I'm not Iosi
2: Perez's biggest fan, but he's done all right. Yeah. The thing with Leicester is they do they do draw goals from pretty much all over the pitch, don't they? Set pieces they're a threat, their their fullbacks are brilliant, and they, they score quite frequently for fullbacks, and then they're just Rotating cast of wingers and midfielders all chip in. I know Vardy hitting a dry spell isn't great, but it's not the worst thing in the world. Like there are te- there are so many teams that are, that would
0: struggle with that, but I feel like Leicester can actually deal and swallow with that. I mean, they're a great team to watch. The, the issue with Leicester currently with this you know, fledgling Brendan Rodgers era is that we've not seen them tested outside the Premier League. And so when you put them into this company, it's a similar thing to go back to Atalanta. What we're seeing this season is that the incredible football that they play in Serie A has not automatically transferred to the Champions League. You know, they got stuffed at Dinamo Zagreb in their opening game and they got stuffed against Manchester City and, you know, like they were on their way out, even though from watching them week in, week out, you know what a phenomenal team they are. And I think there's a lot to be said for... European know-how, for being used to um, playing those matches against the top teams on the continent every season. And I think uh, as good a team as Leicester are and as as good a coach as Brendan Rodgers is, that that lack of recent European pedigree would probably count against them in this sort of situation because there are no shortcuts to that know-how. Every now and again a team comes out of nowhere, like Ajax last season, and does something that Feels like it shouldn't be possible. Mm-hmm. But generally speaking, when, particularly when you get a team with a lot of young players, um, you know, players who are still on the way up, as Leicester do, until they've been tested in those sorts of circumstances, you can't know how they'll react. I, I, I get that. And with Ajax, you, you bring up a good point. But to your point on that, Ajax
2: played 10 Champions League games last season. Leicester will play 38 games here. So it's much easier to produce that kind of magical run over a shorter span, right? Over, over. If you if you quadruple the number of in the sample size, it it won't be as magical. It, the the chances lessen. So I get that. I'm just tr- running through my head as you as you say that and trying to figure out like which Leicester players do actually have that pedigree. And to be fair, it's mostly Europa League pedigree, isn't it? Mm. Mm. It is
1: mostly Europa League. Quickly then, number eleven. Before we get into the top half, yeah, I feel bad about this one because I wanted to put
2: them higher because I love them, but I think I've I've shown an appropriate amount of restraint on Borussia
1: Munchen Gladbach. A team Um, that Dortmund have beaten twice this season. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah.
2: Um, Okay. I think, um, I don't think they're as fragile. Um, I think tactically they're extremely well built. The manager is superb. And recently, in those big games, they've beaten Bayern Munich in the last two months. And they would have beaten Leipzig if, as we said last week, Alessand Player hadn't just stupidly got sent off. Uh I think this team are getting better and better. Um, I've kept them out of the top ten because I would presume again some inconsistency to what Tom was saying, not a lot of now or european know how there but i've just got i've got an an incredible amount of faith in this gladback team in terms of, and i i would i would genuinely believe that they would fare better against the top teams every week than than Dortmund. Or Atalanta wow. or Atletico Madrid. It's a bit. It's a big call. Cool. It's a
1: massive it's call. A yeah, because cool, yeah. I don't agree with that at all. <laughs> um, <laughs> we're going to move on to the top ten, though. Um, all right. Well, yeah. Go tenth tenth, to tenth is uh, tenth is Leipzig. Okay. Um, a, a key trait here is
2: that they don't tend to lose against good teams. I don't think that they've played particularly well in their big games this season or at least they haven't played they haven't managed to play very well for more than 45 minutes in those games we're talking Bayern and Dortmund recently um and stretching further back obviously Gladbach as well but the amount of weapons they can call upon yeah now the thing that holds me back putting them even higher is again this lack of experience and we're going to see in the first round how they get on against a very battle-hardened Tottenham side mm-hmm. i think Leipzig player for player are better than Tottenham but experience wise not there, it doesn't come close. Mm-hmm. It's one of the, the the joys of football, really, seeing how these two teams actually yeah. clash and to see what comes out on top and how important those tangibles or intangibles I are. Leipzig
1: to come out on top.
2: I think they'll win as well um, because I think they are that good. Yeah. But there's a couple of teams above them here, yeah, which I think some people may think, well, Leipzig are probably better than these teams. Yeah, start but moving on. I'm just, I'm just, I think when you compare Leipzig to an Inter Milan, who okay. dropped out of the Champions League. I think they grind away through this season
1: under Antonio Conte better than most. I think they'd handle it. So, you got Inter at nine? I got Inter at nine. Okay. What do you think? Um, well, they suffered quite a big defeat at the weekend, which will raise some questions. Well, I guess who's above Inter? <laughs> <laughs> the team, is it Lazio? That,
2: the team yeah. that beat them, Lazio. I tell you what, recency bias be damned. It's quite
0: possible that had Inter even drawn that game, I'd put Inter above Lazio in this table. But I think I th- one of the interesting things about this sort of exercise is, is that there's kind of a tension between whether we're judging these teams on their hypothetical best day or whether we're thinking what would they actually produce in this sort of situation and I think, you know, Leipzig uh, uh, are quite a good example in that we know that on the day they're capable of anything but compared to a team like Inter with a coach like Conte so battle-hardened and okay, they've had a bit of a wobble of late but, you you know, Conte's impact has been clear Mm. in terms of Sort of injecting that that squad with his winning mentality and his know how and I, I I tend to think that that would carry you further in this sort of situation than the potential of a very exciting but quite callow set of young players, mm. which a team like Leipzig are.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and Inter have the added benefit of having two entire squads of players because over the last two transfer windows, Antonio Conte has bought approximately four billion
1: new like, players. Yeah. so I mean, I find it really hard to judge, actually, on Inter because I'm not sure how good... I love watching Serie A. It's probably my favourite league at the moment. I'm not sure how good the league is, though, because Ashley Young has been one of Inter Milan's best players <laughs> since joining there and he's certainly not not worthy of being that in any premier league side. Yeah, no, I I, I get it. I get it. I really do. Um, That's confusing. It is it's really it tough. is
2: confusing, but Inter Inter have been grinding through Serie A for a while. Yeah. I don't think they've shown their best form for for maybe a month or two. Um but again that 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 could be also be viewed as a positive in this scenario because their ability to just kind of just yeah, the grind through those games as Tom says the battle-hardened coach um Portraying this battle hardened mentality onto the players, like it's so valuable. Yeah. The reason I put Lazio ahead of them is not just because they beat Inter at the weekend, but because they've beaten almost every big team they've played this season. Yeah, they have. Like they they've beaten Juventus twice. They beat them in, in the league and then they beat them in, in, in the cup as well. And it's,
1: it's I've got a lad up front called Chiro Immobile, yes. who an, an is act, half decent. He's about to he's probably gonna break records this season. Mm. Um so we're
2: catching Lazio at their hottest
1: point. Yeah. And I'm putting He's just in that mindset where he can barely miss. Yeah. Except penalties. Yeah, I mean, there was a couple of chances recently I've, I've seen where he's starting to not um, produce a goal every time he shoots, certainly. <laughs> but there was honestly a spell where yeah. everything he hit ended up in the back of the net. And when you're in that, you've got a striker like that, the belief just falls throughout the team. I feel like that's kind of what's happened to Lazio. It kind of reminds me of, like... Uh, Frankfurt from last season, Ajax from last season, where the team just builds momentum. Yeah, and Piontek had a spell where everything he hit went in, do you remember? Yeah. I mean, it
2: can fall very harshly the other side when, when things go wrong, but with Immobile, I think we've probably got enough evidence to
1: say that, that that's, he's not going to hit those lows. Do you think he should stay at Lazio? Because I'm sure there'll be offers coming in for him and Milinkovic-Savage soon. I'd quite like to see a team at like Lazio, as they start to get to this point, just stick together for a bit. Yeah, I mean, Immobile is nearly
2: 30. Yeah,
1: So, like... Not saying that's the end of but days. It would be the surprise if Chelsea couldn't get Moussa Dembele, so went for Immobile, So,
2: yeah, I mean, what would you do if you were Immobile? I, I bet he's, I bet he's a godlike figure in Lazio. Yeah, at Lazio. So um, I probably wouldn't go. Yeah,
1: but we'll, yeah, we'll see. Lazio are going to get Champions League football this season. True. So right, let's quickly move on up then. Seven and six.
2: Yeah, right. We are into big gun territory we here. Really
1: are. Everybody from here
2: is a major player. And this is a little cluster of teams that I found quite difficult to separate um, because they are big question marks themselves. But I've gone for Bayern Munich in seven and I feel a bit bad about it. Yeah, so I think I think I think think that's harsh. I think at their actual
1: absolute best, they, they can be two or three spots higher. I feel like you underestimate them regularly. Yeah? Well, you keep telling me they're not going to win Bundesliga and they are. Yeah, they might. <laughs> yeah, they might. They have got, over the last couple of months, they've got so much better. They have got their, better. Their improvement, they changed
2: their coach. Their improvement... Track, oh, I'm absolutely amazed. At the coach Hansi Flick is good. is good. This this is the best
1: Bayern team I think I've seen genuinely since Guardiola. Yeah, I mean it's so not it's, just a mentality. I thought at first it was just a mentality thing, and it's not just a mentality.
2: Yeah, thing. I think he's just. I think his his tactical approach, Flick's tactical approach, is just much better suited to this team of this team than Kovac was. Kovac was inherently a, quite a defensive coach. That Frankfurt side sat in and absorbed a lot of pressure, and it was. A, I thought it was a bad fit for Bayern. Um, by the end and Flick has actually unlocked them and Mm. you can see that in Thomas Muller who has just become a major player again and has snuck his way to sort of 12-13 assists you know he's he's, he's battling with Sancho for the best creator title which is just if you'd have told me that three months ago I wouldn't have believed you no way but Bayern seventh with scope to go higher and I think they'll beat Chelsea in fact I think they'll
1: deal with Chelsea quite easily in the Champions League Um, I feel like this is a club that's made for a Super League they just the Champions League, big times, when it comes to deliver, they just deliver. It's the mentality of the club. And I just think that's, that's why I would put them higher than seventh. I can understand why you've put them there because of the teams we haven't spoken about yet. Yeah. But they just have this winning mindset that... They do. Other teams like PSG, who we haven't spoken about, don't have so much at this
2: yeah, point. Yeah, well, PSG's a whole kettle of fish yeah. that we
1: can come on to. But in, in sixth um, is
2: Barcelona. <laughs> yeah. Well Again, I felt weird about this. I just... I just, Again, f- they feel so vulnerable right now. Mm. They really do. Yeah, I I think Kike Setien's great. I really like him. And you're going to get trolled he, for this, and he's a good stylistic fit for the for the side. But or at least he should be. Or at least he should. Yeah, <laughs> is he? Should, he, should, not yet, he, isn't he yet? I mean, yeah, philosophically great. Um, but he's trying to coax this team into doing something completely different to what Valverde had them do. They are an old side. Like, there's a lot of players here who are, who are 30 plus. Like, you're suddenly asking. You know, Leo Messi and Suarez, if he was fit, and uh, and PK and Alba to play a much more like a, mu- a much higher intensity style, yeah. and I feel like they're kind of caught between two ideals here, yeah. and I'm a bit worried about them. The reason they're even sixth is because they have Messi, but which is probably worth about yeah, he's, you know, well, he's worth fourteen, <laughs> 14, 14, 14 league, places. Yeah. Um, but I, th- I just I think stylistic I'm really worried about them. Yeah,
0: I, you feel like it could go it could go either way with barcelona like they they do feel like they've come to the end of a cycle and what's more worrying is that players like you know xavi and iniesta haven't been successfully replaced. They've been replaced. Tough but, one, though. But, but, I mean, obviously, tough gig. Yeah. But the guys they brought in, we're still waiting for them to really catch fire. Obviously, people they like will, De Jong are still but, yeah. betting in. You assume they will. They've been cursed with injuries this season. You know, Usman Dembele's out again, Suarez out again, and now they're, you know, fishing around for, a, for an emergency striker. Um, but the foundations don't look anything like as strong as they were during the Guardiola era and even yeah. the years after. Yeah. And you assume, given the resources they have, that they will they will bounce back. But I, I feel like Barcelona currently look more vulnerable than at almost any point in the last 10 years. I agree, I agree. And you said they've got the resources to bounce back, and they do, but can we are we in
2: agreement that there might be the mo- the worst-run elite club at the moment? Like, transfer business-wise, it hasn't looked good for them.
1: The there's fa- just so many things coming out from Barcelona at the moment that you just drop your jaw at every single time. I mean, there's the rumour that they set up this social media company that's kind of... Influencing things off the pitch, which is they obviously deny, but it's staggering that that's even being spoken about. All these things, around, the Valverde mess.
0: there's just so many. Even last summer, signing Griezmann, obviously a fantastic player. Where does he fit? Like yeah. there is, there and was he never going to be a chance to sign Neymar, really. Yeah, yeah. and there was never going to be a role for him in that team. And case, Setien has tried, you know, going to three at the back and playing with the front two, but. It, I don't think there's ever going to be, sadly, a, a, a role that, that suits Griezmann ideally in that team. He's always going to be a square peg in a round hole. And it's yeah, just further evidence of yeah. the lack of joined up thinking at, at board level. It's actually really sad to hear the, you know, to, to hear or to, to look at the quotes from
2: Griezmann and on his time at Barca where he's talking about how he's got no confidence, where he's like, oh, I can't dribble. These are not remarks that you would expect from well, a man a year ago, put out a footballer. documentary
1: calling himself a legend. So. <laughs> but he's been crushed by this. It's such a shame. Anyway, it's a shame because he is a good player. But are know.
2: outside of the top five, and we launch into the top five now with Real Madrid. This is a team that has proven extremely difficult to beat this season, which is a hell of a trait in the context of this Super League. Um, they are—they look absolutely horrifying to play against now. They're no longer this um, exciting. Uh, attacking outlet they don't blow the doors off you they don't score four or five they don't concede two but just completely overpower you anyway they really strain you during games they really draw you out they exhaust you they make it horrible um they look really stodgy and they yeah. look they've changed their approach completely with 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 Federico Valverde and Casemiro in the middle. This, they, they press, they counter-press really well now. I'm, I'm shocked at how they've, they've completely changed their approach, which had to happen, right, post-Ronaldo. Yeah, yeah. They just had to. Um, the concern for Real Madrid is that they don't really score that many goals. Mm. Um, I know a couple of weeks ago they put four in at Osasuna, but generally speaking, they're winning games by a goal, Getting, I don't really two. understand
1: why, because they have got the outlets. Bale's really off colour at the moment. Hazard, he's, he's done well this season, I think, like in his general play, but he's not coming up with the numbers. He scored you, one which, goal. That's the thing. The numbers aren't there for him. Like No matter how good his all-round display is, the Madrid fans seem to have really taken to him, but the numbers are not there. Benzema can only do so much. He's, he's really counted for a lot of these points <laughs> they've had this season. Yeah. They are still up there. They're still top of the league, but they're also drawn four home games, I think, that they've really dropped against teams that they shouldn't be dropping points against. Yeah, um, I, find, then, I yeah. find Madrid a really interesting one. It's a conversation we're
2: going to have again in the moment with, with PSG, who, who are in fourth, but a final word on Madrid. We need the Champions League knockout stages to tell us how good they are. Mm. It's impossible to say without the evidence that we're about to receive. So Dan's and, been waiting for this.
0: And PSG... Well, he's, never, he's never been knocked out of the Champions League, has he? He's never I mean, been, He's what, never lost a Champions League tie. The, the funny thing with Zidane is that even though he's won three back-to-back Champions League titles, there are still people who think he's a fraud. Yeah, there yeah, are yeah. still people who think that that was some sort of fluke. And I think when he came back to the club last year and struggled to turn things around, those people felt that that was confirmation of what they'd suspected all along. And actually what's happening this season is really interesting because it shows that he... He appears to know how to rebuild a team. We spoke before about Barcelona being in transition, some of the other teams we've discussed being in transition. The the big calls he's made, OK, in an ideal world, it wouldn't be Federico Valverde, it would be Paul Pogba. That was the man he wanted, didn't get. But he he had the nous to turn to Valverde and turn him into a key figure in that midfield. He's bringing other players into the team, like ferland Mendy... Madrid are a different team to the team they were last season, and that that cycle that had come to an end feels like it's being renewed. And I, I agree completely. I think it will be fascinating to see what Madrid look like in the Champions League this season. But I think even just looking at their domestic fixtures, there's a sign of evolution there, which suggests already that there's more to Zidane than than people perhaps suspected.
2: I must say, like I, I'm not. I wasn't in Zidane fraud territory, but I was. I was largely of the opinion that he was kind of right place, right time kind of guy. Um, the star man who could motivate the star players. And I wasn't necessarily sold on his tactical acumen. I did I did think that his sub- use of substitutions mm. was very, very good in those in those Champions League winning runs. But generally speaking, I wasn't 100% sold on him. And when he came back and struggled, I was, I was erring towards the side that really it was the right place, right time mm. kind of guy. I was one of those people. And that's why I'm so impressed with... With with watching their off the ball style and the way he has remolded this team as you say and changed what they are, I'm ro- I was wrong about him. So I'm I'm just super impressed with Madrid. Madrid fans absolutely hate me, so they'll love they'll love it when I say that. <laughs> um, but on to PSG, who yeah, are a similar who are a similar story in some ways. They are they are fourth. Um, uh, same same thing every year. How good are they? Well, these next two weeks will tell us, or this next month will tell us.
1: Well, Tom can tell you, us. You which absolutely... watches
0: way more of them than we do. Uh, yeah, but I don't think he can tell us for sure. <laughs> no, I mean, Sam and I were chatting before. The problem with PSG is you never know. I mean, their form <laughs> over the last few months has been exceptional. They're unbeaten in 23 games ahead of the game against Dortmund tonight. And Thomas Tuchel has, has found a system that manages to accommodate Neymar and Mbappe and Di Maria and Icardi or another striker. And they've been scoring goals for fun. Um, but once again, there is that that sense of the unknown with PSG because they looked good prior to the Remontada against Barcelona in 2017. They looked good prior to Real Madrid in 2018. They looked good prior to Man United last season. They, you know, their first leg away at Old Trafford in the last 16 last season was perfect. Two nil win should have been more. Um, yeah, it should have progressed. And then within a fortnight, they're out and it's the same old thing. I mean, on, on paper, clearly they are exceptional. I mean, that collection of forward players is unparalleled in European football and, when it works, as it has in recent weeks, it's hard to imagine anyone stopping them. But then, the same old issue with PSG that they don't face any decent opposition in, in domestic football, and I think one of the consequences of that means that they they've never had to develop any kind of identity as a team yeah. because having these super-talented individuals is always enough to get them over the line. And so when things have gone against them in the Champions League in recent seasons, they've had nothing to fall back on because they've never needed anything to fall back on in the league. And here we are again. I mean, they could put five goals past Dortmund or we could be, you know, deja vu for the fourth year running, another last 16 no-show. And it's it's very difficult to predict. I think, you think Mbappe would leave if they didn't win the Champions League this day or at least come close to it. I think... Some of it will depend on what happens to Neymar and whether Neymar goes and where Neymar goes. I mean, Mbappe will leave one day and probably for Real Madrid. Yeah, it, I think it will depend on how PSG do, how Real Madrid do. If PSG go out to Dortmund, Tuchel will be gone at the end of the season. Neymar, we know, is, is probably going to leave. Um, and it might depend for, for Mbappe on who comes in and how much he's prepared to believe in the new coach. Because... PSG have, have really struggled to find a coach who absolutely fits the bill in terms of Champions League know-how. I mean, not since Carlo Ancelotti have they been able to hire a coach who has been there and done it in the, in the Champions League. And if they fall short again this season, that's going to be the challenge again. And if they're not able to get that guy, then I think Mbappe will ask questions about, yeah. about next season. It's
2: amazing, isn't it, Like how much for, for this particular club just how important this part of the season is. For no other team is, is there a parallel here. Uh, um, well, you
1: say that. Number three... Um, Juventus. Got- <laughs> <laughs> Actually,
2: yeah. They've also gone all in on, on, on Champions League, haven't they? With the Ronaldo purchase and building around Literally, him. Literally, yeah. Too often the bridesmaid and never the bride. They've, just, they've lost a couple of finals in the last decade and they're obviously smarting from it. They think, hey, here's a chance to get Ronaldo. Here's a chance to get the guy. The Mr. Champions League and finally get this crown. They fell short last season. They're clearly in a better place this season. Um they are results wise but performance wise perhaps not. Yeah. So my initial draft of this table had Juve in second. And I dropped them down to third. My reasoning was if every game is a big game, Ronaldo gets a hat trick every week.
1: <laughs> that, absolutely, <laughs> right? yeah. Yeah. But he's then he's I- like 97 goals in a season.
2: It is, yeah. It's going to be unreal. Um <laughs> but, you know, the, the week-to-week following and watching of Juve is an up-and-down is an up experience, isn't it? They still don't really feel like they've fully grasped their manager's instructions, and yeah. they, they go from left to right. They go up and down all the time. There's sometimes where I'm really convinced by them, and at times I think, You've, you're no better than you were three months ago, yeah. and I don't know what to do with them. I just think that the depth of this squad is is, is incredible. The star power is incredible. Ronaldo against the best opposition becomes one of the becomes the best player in the world, more or less, and he is missed a big moment. So I think that they would be right at the top here, but I've just kept them off the summit.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it's fair. I think I've tipped Juve to win the Champions League this season. I did think they'd started to show better fluidity than they're showing right now. I'm yeah. concerned about the midfield in particular. Yeah, um, he, he, obviously he's rotating it quite a lot, and I think he's learning what doesn't work. Yeah, like the problem is with every game he is coming under some pressure. I don't think Sarri going to be sacked. Uh, but while Guardiola's in the situation he is at Man City right now, I know I don't expect him to leave either, but there's still that scrutiny, still that talk around it, and the longer that doesn't go away, the more chance there does become that it happened. Um, And obviously we're still to talk about Man City, which is interesting um, in the shape of this league table, but um, yeah, I didn't actually set this up to just roll very nicely
2: from one (laughs) to the other here. Real Madrid, oh, PSG, Juve, and then into number two, Man City.
1: Again, I originally had them at third, so just below Juve. Um, Two Man City. I am surprised you've put them this high, I have to say, because so this, it kind of depends on which Man City, doesn't it? It does, think, yeah.
0: You know, this, Man City this, of last season, the Man City of the first few weeks of this season, absolutely. Potentially yeah. even top, but then Six Man City Premier of the League last, defeat. Yeah. Six. I know. This, this, um, this is predicated on one
2: very important thing. I'm Eric Laporte, can play football because I think I think you can pretty much trace it back to results wise to whether or not he played. Right. And I'm have assumed all the way through this table that that play, that players are available. And Laporte is back now, which is a huge bonus for City in in their quest to to win the Champions League. It's okay. kind of now or never. Um because they are at this at this at the time of speaking, obviously banned for the next two competitions. We'll see how that shakes out, but this is going to this is going to light a fire under them this season and it's interesting you, you talk about PSG and perhaps not having a control mode or a template to fall back into when they need to city absolutely have that right. Everything they do is choreographed on the training ground. And in this scenario against this caliber of opposition, I think that would be really, really important. I think a team whose identity is so clearly defined is more likely to succeed, particularly if you have that star power to to, to tip you over the edge.
0: Yeah. I, I think that is an advantage that city have and it's almost unique to them. Um, it's certainly very rare that the the kind of gap between their top level performance and bottom level performance is is much narrower than mm. for a lot of teams yeah. some of these teams occasionally don't turn up and you can tell within 5 minutes they've not turned up whereas city generally always turn out when it doesn't work for City it's it's not because they're not dominating the opposition or creating chances it's it's because they're not taking chances and that's yeah. been a big issue for City apart from all the defensive injuries the absence of Laporte and things like that yeah. whereas I think with City generally that the benchmark performance is a lot more consistent and in a league format like this as you say that's going to you know, stand them in really good stead
2: What you said there about the taking of chances I, I think that is probably an underreported narrative of their season isn't it we've focused very clearly on on the defensive issues the fullback issues Laporte's fitness the formation change how many how many like clear chances have they missed over over the over the in the in the games that they didn't win and should have won I mean Aguero is culpable for some of them but everybody is Sterling yeah. the same sterling has gone off the boil Ster- everybody has done it Sterling has been quite poor this year mm. yeah calendar year yeah and quite poor it's, it's actually surprised me a little bit but yeah, I think I think that's an underreported uh, vein of the story to be honest yeah. with you.
1: I think the only other surprise is I guess they don't really have Champions League pedigree. They've never they've never come anywhere close to winning it in the 2 3 years when they should have been close to winning it. So, to think that they would come this close to winning the European Super League probably I
2: get that, but like
1: Pep so way. so the manager does yeah. The
2: manager has that pedigree. He does. He's, they've got they've got a, a World Cup winner as captain. Like the, these concerns start to they start to to filter away a little bit as you go through it. I don't think it's as, as severe as as the other teams.
1: European Super League champions twenty twenty are Liverpool. Shock! Shock! Is there anything they cannot win? Is there anybody any objections? No. Well, no, because literally nobody can beat them. <laughs> <laughs> Napoli! <laughs> But I've had to come Madrid after this this podcast. Oh, goodness
2: me, yeah. Um, yeah, Liverpool. Uh, they're the best team in the world. Um, they don't lose games. Please don't make me look stupid. Please don't make me look stupid. But they don't lose games. They don't lose games. Even, they, you know. even at their worst, even when it's just not working for them, like against Norwich at the weekend, they still win.
1: Mm. And this is the ultimate trait to have in this scenario. I've got of watching them.
2: I have. I've started rooting for the other team.
1: It's just just become, it's like the old Man United team. It's just like, oh, they've done it it in one season. You've become bored of watching them because they're so good. Yeah, (laughs) yeah.
0: Their level of invulnerability is absurd and difficult to understand because previously when teams had off days, uh, you know, title-winning teams, title-chasing teams of Liverpool's calibre, they might draw. But Liverpool don't even drop points you know like that I mean I I saw them at Molyneux against Wolves and Wolves played them off the pitch second half Adama every time he got on the ball you thought he was you know he was going to get into the box and create a chance they were really wobbling and not only did they avoid defeat they managed to get a winner at the end and they're relentless and there is something just coldly grimly efficient about the football and not to say they're not an enjoyable team to watch but they don't I don't find myself leaping from my seat all that much at Liverpool because their their level of control their level of dominance yeah. is so immense that they just sort of I mean yeah they just sort of knock you out. Do so you say that about Liverpool and I sort of felt the same about Man
2: City last season and I keep having to kind of remind myself that this is not normal like this kind of level of brilliance and this like automation is you have to sort of click your fingers and kind of figure out that hang on a minute what you're seeing is amazing it's not just something you become numb to
1: yeah absolutely well congratulations to liverpool world champions champions league winners premier league champions elect and now european super league winners according to sam Tai, anyway cheers lads that is all that sorted we'll be back in a second with a load of questions from you the ranks Right, we asked four roulette questions on Instagram and you delivered so many good ones to me and Sam Tai in our inboxes that we have decided we're going to get through as many of these in 10 minutes as we can, rather than doing the usual roulette wheel. You yeah, up for
2: this? yeah, I mean, it's landed on Rich James's face one, two times recently, yeah. so we've ditched it and we'll do a 10
1: minute timer. Every now and then, if we get a load of good enough questions, we're just going to go for this. So I'm going to set the timer and we're just going to go for it and I'll see how far we get. All right. Right. First question then. Who
0: would you support if your current football team did not exist? Uh I well, I kinda of support them already. I'd support my local club, Colwyn Bay, who uh, play in the second tier of the Welsh football pyramid. I like that a lot. Um probably Southampton have always
2: been my second team and I work for them, so I would probably go for Southampton, to be honest with you.
1: I would probably support Barcelona. Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> That's very Dean. Well, if I'm going to choose a new team to support, I might as well choose a good one. That's a good point, actually. I
2: put myself <laughs> well, in misery to rubbish, as it Fulham. is. Like, why wouldn't I just make my life a little bit easier? Fine
1: Munich. They usually win. Yeah, just pick a thing that wins, man. Enjoy it. <laughs> <laughs> that was from Sumyadeep Deep Chowdhury. Thanks for that one, mate. Next question actually came in from three different people. What impact will Hakim Zayic make at Chelsea? Yeah, interesting one. That's a, such a good signing. Let's start, start with that. Nobody else was in for him. They had a free run at him. I mean, he had a release clause last
2: summer that expired and no one went for it. Nobody bothered. I really don't know what happened there at all. But ended up signing a new deal, didn't he, last summer? But he's gone, finally. see, Eric Ten Hag was saying, like, I can't believe he's still here. Like, for the last two years, I've been like, how has no one bought Yeah, people are like, aren't you sad?
1: He's like, no, I can't believe we've even had him this long.
2: Yeah, amazing. I obviously think he's an excellent player. Uh, He's no secret to most people after the Champions League run last season Again, just a just a, an absolutely wonderful left foot. Such a languid dribbler, but such a graceful player. Could fit for Chelsea? I think probably yes. I think um, we, we talked about it a couple of months ago when we had Mark Geshwind on the podcast, we who's at the, uh, the 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 IX Ultra he is. of the um, of uh, of, the, of, of of America, and he was extolling the virtues of Ziyech, not just because of his attacking influence um, and his ball playing abilities and his shooting, but also because of his pressing and his work rate. And I think it's probably one of those things that's a little bit underrated in his game. He does work extremely hard. And Chelsea under Lampard have worked hard off the ball. Mason Mount and Tammy Abraham are a pressing tandem. And they are important to that team, not just because they score goals and create, but because of the off-the-ball ethic. And Ziyech, so, I think, will fit into that. Um, I don't know exactly which position he plays, but I don't think that's a problem. I yeah. think I think if you rotated that band of attacking players, I think you'd be OK. Um, he could come in off the right he could play centrally I think he could swap with Pulisic when he's back and fit I think if you're building around Ziyech and Pulisic, you're in a good situation.
0: And also just having a left foot in creative areas, which is something that Chelsea don't have currently. And yeah. you know, going back the last few seasons, apart from Marcus Alonso, they've not really had that many Absolutely. left-footed players. And I think Ziyech gives you that. He gives you the incredible technical ability he has. But he's also a clutch player. We saw that in the Champions League last season. Every single time that they needed him to stand up and be counted, pretty much he was there. And yeah. I think given that Chelsea are quite a callow team currently with all these young players even though Ziyech is still relatively young himself he's got that little bit of experience behind him in the Champions League and, and with Alex in the other division I think that'll stand him in good stead
1: yeah I was told Chelsea really like his character as well and the type of personality he is they got to be really careful about what are the things that they've got to look out for with I he said, what,
2: what, hasn't, he, hasn't he got like a list like a history of
1: like like having a row with coaches is that what they want is that they want that intense character no so they they did their background checks and Frank Lampard like sent whoever it was that he sent out to like make personal checks on him and see what his personality was like will he fit in with the dressing room and it I was told he was delighted. All right. Well, I mean... Reform- I know, I've read exactly the same yeah, stuff. I, I mean, perhaps that's just an
2: example of, of a maturing and reformed character. But I just remember seeing a lot, quite a lot of reports of him
1: falling out with people. Absolutely. So, yeah. But I think that's one of the big things for Chelsea right now. When they're looking at signings, you know, character is, is everything. And one of the reasons they won't be signing Wilfred Zaha, so I am told. Anyway, right. um, next question. Have any of you ever had a direct influence on the
0: outcome of a Premier
1: League football match?
0: I don't think I have, no. Racking my Sam? brains, no.
2: Yes. Sam? <laughs> yes, yes, I have, Yeah.
1: How was your weekend?
2: It was good. I enjoyed it. Um, yeah, I write yeah. Wrap it up quickly. What happened? I, okay, I write uh, the opposition tactical analysis page in every Southampton match day programme. And as it turns out, Sean Dyche decided to read it on Saturday and then he showed all of his players in the dressing room ahead of Southampton versus Burnley, said, here's what they think of you, have at it. And he used it as a motivational tool uh, to potentially gain an upper hand. I mean I think the biggest upper hand in that in that game was actually the wind and the weather. Um, no. But it was your programme column. Technically speaking, I have had a hand in
0: a result in a Premier League game. This had season. your writing pinned to the dressing room wall. Literally, in, we hear oh, of this all the time. In old school fashion. We
1: hear of like, oh, they would have used that against them. It's actually said that they used you as their motivation.
0: I really hope he read it out. You just imagine Sean Dyche with his gruff voice. I reckon he's still... God knows how many copies he must have bought of that programme as well. because That's
1: a big moment in his career, I reckon. It's also, once the dust settles and I get over this, it's also a big moment in my career. OK, next question comes from Sita Amar. Best player outside of Europe's top five leagues right now, given that Bruno Fernandes and Ziyech have moved. Oh,
2: Dusan Tadic. Oh, Tadic, nice. Um, I like Danilo Pereira at Porto a lot. I think he's really good. Uh, holding midfielder, they call him the octopus. Jack occasionally talks about it because he's obsessed with that nickname, but I think Danilo is brilliant. And for a lot of teams that are always looking out for that kind of Fernandinho, Fabinho-style defensive midfield sentinel that can bring that physical edge but can also pass, um, to be fair, Portugal have a couple of those because William Carvalho is pretty good as
1: well, but he's in Spain. I really like Danilo. I think he's brilliant. And I'd probably go for him. OK, next one. Scrumptious Soccer on Instagram says, Could Saka be to Arsenal what Alfonso Davis has become to Bayern? I.e. fantastic. I.e. Out of nowhere, he's your best left back. Do you like Saka?
0: Yeah, yeah, I really do, and I think he he will create problems for Arteta when Kieran Tierney comes back because obviously Tierney comes back and comes in. Must the be team soon as well, and, and probably not all that far away. And yet, Saka has been an absolute revelation, and every every time I watch him, I'm more impressed. And you just wonder where he fits into that team if and when Tierney comes in and and takes his place, does he have to go out on loan? Is there somewhere else that he can fit into that system? But he's been an absolute revelation for us. He's been really good, hasn't he? He's kind
2: of taken me aback a bit because it's testament to, to what a run of games for a young player can do as well. Because remember back in about October, I went to Arsenal 3, Villa 2, back under the Emery days. So obviously asterisk next to all of it but Saka was thrown in and he he looked very lost um, and he looked very low on confidence and he was he was snapping at shots he was making the wrong decisions and you could tell it was a kid that had been thrown in the deep water and wasn't necessarily treading water very well and then along comes a manager with a plan with a clear idea of what he wants to do and amazingly he's playing at left back which as far as I'm aware, he just wasn't a left-back. And that's what but I find it so amazing, yeah. But he's been absolutely sensational. Is he, is he what Davies is to Bayern? I mean, Davies obviously emerging as a real star at left-back. Probably not quite. Um, but what a story it is regardless. Uh, I don't think
1: they're going to want to keep Saka at left-back. I think Bayern might just keep Davies at left back for at least another year or so. Okay, we've got like 40 seconds left on the clock and there's only one question left, and it's,
0: what's your big tip to get into football journalism? So we have to be really quick, each of us here. Read a lot. Read a lot of everything. Read a lot of football writing, but read a lot of other stuff because you can't be a good writer if you're not a good reader.
2: Uh, Write every day. If you are looking to hone your craft and improve and try and make an impact and try and impress some people, I think a writing rhythm is really important. There are lots of people that want to get into journalism and football writing who actually can't bring themselves to hit the keyboard or find it difficult to motivate themselves to actually write. And I think if you write every single day, it becomes normal to write and the alarm bell goes in your head if you haven't written something and it feels weird if you haven't and then you're in a good spot.
1: Yeah, that's true. I'd just say as well, like find your niche, Like whether it's French football, whether it's tactics, whether it's transfers. Just find something within the game that you can really nail down and you can go to a future employer or a blog or whatever it might be and be like, give me this and I'll make it my own because you can't just write about football. You have to have something that you master in because anyone can watch a football match and talk about it. Something something that adds value, yeah.
0: The beauty of football journalism, journalism in general, is that it is still pretty much a meritocracy if you can do something that no one else can do and do it well that's job's your footing
1: to be the had, yeah. 100% yeah i mean obviously it's a crowded industry but there are definitely jobs still to be had so do not give up if you want to get into football journalism just don't expect to be rich either right we'll be back for the final <laughs> section where we'll go through melon of the week and sam's nonsense rankings so just hang with it it's time for melon of the week this week's melon of the week is Aston Villa superstar, Bjorn Engels. Superstar, huh? Yeah, <laughs> superstar. What a player. Now, he was probably only playing at the weekend against Tottenham because Tyrone Mings had tonsillitis, but um, he was thrown in there, gave away a penalty, then scored, then pretty inexplicably let the ball run underneath his foot in added time, And Son races in behind him to score the winner for Spurs. It was such a hands-in-heads moment. I do feel really sorry for the lad. Obviously, he didn't do any of this on purpose. And I still feel the penalty might have been slightly harsh. But um, that moment when he lets Son in behind him just cannot happen. And if that happens, you are a melon. It seemed like he was trying to trap the ball. When it's the ninety-fourth minute, and if you kick it
2: down the other end, the game is over. Yeah, and that's what was kind of crushing about it, and I felt really bad because he looked like he wanted the ground to swallow him he up. He seems devastated, and he tweeted afterwards like, "I mean, I'm very aware that it was my mistake that cost us a point." It's like, dude, I hope you just take 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 the rest of the evening and just spend it with your loved ones and just <laughs> remember the good times.
1: Absolutely right. It's time for nonsense rankings, and I can't make the sound that Jack makes, so it's one more week of Shakira. <laughs> Oh, dear. That sucks. I mean... We said that we wouldn't do that again. Sam, so we introduced this sound of, of Shakira as our nonsense siren, and it's one of the worst sounds you'll ever hear. Um, and we said we wouldn't do it again, but we didn't count on Jack being here. We didn't Ill. count on Jack not being here to make the old sound that he used to make for the nonsense siren. Anyway, we're talking nonsense now. Sam, how are we ending the show today? Tell us.
2: Yeah, it is the three uh, TV reality shows that I will be best on. Okay, and then a bonus, uh, what I'd be worst on at the end as well. So it's actually a double nonsense. Um, So in at number three, uh, this is is the best on, Dragon's Den, also known as Shark Tank in America, I believe. So that really daunting process where you walk into a room and address a series of people inexplicably sat next to a huge wad of cash for absolutely no reason and pitch them an idea. The reason it's at three is because I don't actually have an idea so I, if i if i if you made me go in there right now i don't know what i'd say um cold water bottle fast walking lanes these are just things off the top of my head but i wouldn't be able to i wouldn't be able to give them a really good idea however i do feel like i am quite convincing after all i have made you sit here for over a year and listen to my nonsense at the end of every podcast yeah that is true So, if you gave me a business plan i think i would be able to articulate it very well and sell it very well because i can do that i can be convinced yeah, I
0: mean, i'd buy nothing off you but yeah Fine. You, you need a business partner, but you need an ideas man by the sound of it. 100%. Yes. Yeah.
2: I'm the hustler. It's fine. But I need someone to actually do the work. Anyway. You go number... and try and
0: sell this pod to some people then, please.
1: It's not my area. <laughs> it's not my area. <laughs> uh, number two, big brother.
2: Yeah. I'm very likeable, I like to think. Oh, yeah. I'm very nice and very... Tom, do you like him? Yeah, he's all right. Yeah, there you go.
1: <laughs> That's, That's it. when you big brother, That's mate. it.
2: That's a vote. That's a vote right there. Um, and although my Twitter mentions may disagree at times, specifically this week, I do think the public would take to me because I'm not the kind of person who would sit there shouting and sulking. I probably would be the person who finds a way to make an obstacle course out of garden chairs and pillows and get everyone going. That was
1: that thing that you built for your cats.
2: Yeah, I built the um, the, the, fort, fort. the fort that I ended up, you know, sitting in for the most part. It wasn't really for the cats in the end. But yeah, I mean, I like to think that I'm one of the more fun ones and I think people would take to that. I'm not saying I'd win it. But I'm
1: not going out first. Yeah, I mean, I don't think I could spend like 10 weeks with you, but yeah. I see your point.
2: Yeah, well, you spent two weeks.
1: Yeah, well, actually it was only a week, wasn't it? Yeah, I I went home after a week. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he had to go. (laughs) He
2: had to go. Um, And in at number one is The Apprentice. Same problem as Dragon's Den, don't actually have a business plan. However, I've been watching the show for more than a decade. And it always astonishes me that the people that go on it every year don't appear to have watched the old episodes because they always make the same mistakes. Now I've been carefully taking mental notes over the last ten years or so, and although I don't like have a, apprentice Rain Man, yeah, something. and although I don't have a business plan that would actually get me the job, obviously the first fifteen weeks or so of the process is just tasks that the millionaire in question gives you, and I think using all of the knowledge I have of the previous ones. I'd actually actually be quite good at that. Mm. I have a running theory that the person who has expertise in the area of the task should never be made project manager because you get weighed down in too much of the minutia. They should always be the sub-team leader. And no one has figured this out, and it blows my mind. The sub-team leader is always involved in the creation of the product. Anyway, look, look, I'd be good at this. That's my number one. Okay, congrats. Worst, Great British Bake Off. I'd eat, the ke- I'd eat the cake mix before it even goes in the oven, and I'd have nothing to present the judges. Yep. Dancing on ice. Oh, yeah. Not just just generally challenging. Not the best dancer, not the best skater. Off to a bad Makes start. Makes sense. And then the worst one, genuinely, I think, is I'm a celebrity, get me out of here, or some kind of survivor ah, show. Ah, what an awful show to go on. I'm an extremely picky eater, and can only conclude that I would die of starvation on any of those things. But yeah, most
0: that- personally, you're not a celebrity, so that... Awesome. yeah i mean yeah. you're definitely not a
1: celebrity i know yeah. however well this podcast is doing mate yeah <laughs> oh any singing competition crap i'd be so bad hey, there man. are so many shows you shouldn't be we am gonna leave it there <laughs> thank you tom for being a much better guest than sam was this week my pleasure brilliant pod signing for us jack wherever you are mate get well soon oh tom before uh, we go we should probably give them your handle so everyone can follow you
0: please do yeah at tom w football uh i am on twitter and facebook kind of on instagram Kinda, kinda. Well, I kind of like I've What's yeah. your
2: beef? What's your beef with Instagram?
0: No, I mean like I use, but I just I haven't like I don't promote it quite. Yeah, you haven't quite been, like, as embraced it in the same way. Is it so pers- got- is it
1: more personal? It is more personal. Yeah, it yeah. took us a long time to come around to Instagram, didn't it? I was forced to get an
2: account because there were yeah. so many fake ones of me that I actually I needed to get one because yeah. there was. Pe- is that
1: celebrity part? Oh, there you go. Like it's tough again. at the top, eh? Yeah. Anyway, yeah, Jack will probably be back in the hot seat next week if he has taken good care of himself. Yes, it depends, doesn't it? It does depend. I might be back in my normal chair. Who knows? Anyway, Rank Squad, thank you for listening. We will be back next week. See you then.